Okay, so, um, yeah, as Emma said, um, New Year, Happy New Year to everyone, and new series. Uh, we are starting uh, this week uh, on uh, the, uh, our series on Samuel, the life of Samuel, and um, I just want to say, uh, just from the off, uh, in a lot of places you'll hear on this, this Sunday, first Sunday of a new year, a kind of vision and strategy kind of type preach. This is not going to be that. Um, our vision and strategy is that we go after Jesus and um, that we are just going to open the scriptures as we always do every Sunday uh, and we're going to see what it has to say to us about Jesus. Um, so if you guys are all on board with that, we'll get cracking. So um, 1 Samuel, uh, it will come up on the screen, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to follow along uh, on your phone or your paper Bible. Uh, please do that. So uh, we're looking at following God through challenging times, um, learning from the life of the prophet Samuel. And what we've got to read today uh, is before he's even born. So we're starting right at the very beginning. There was a certain man of uh, Ramathiam, uh, Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, and a Paphrite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost in the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and he said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have speak, been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. 
Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favour in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Okay, Um, I think before I say anything about any of this, I think it's appropriate just to acknowledge that this is this topic of having or not being able to have children is quite a sensitive one um, and quite a, a potentially a quite a, a painful one and I want to just recognize that there may be people in this room that have gone through something like this or are currently going through something like this um, and I hope that what I can say this morning um, will be expressed sensitively Um, and the one thing that I think really jumped out at me when I was thinking about that issue of childness uh, being able to have a child or not um, was just the way that Hannah went through all of this pretty much alone and I don't think that should be an experience for anybody and as a church we want to be there for one another Um, And I also want to have a culture as a a church where we're sensitive to one another. You know, you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. Um, So if it's okay, I'd just like to pray at this point before I say anything about the text um, on, on that. Lord, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you that... um, as we discipline ourselves to read all of it, um, sometimes there are some things that are hard. And I just pray that this morning, as I speak on your word, that I would speak with your grace, um, with your clarity and with, your, uh, with, uh, with humility. And um, I pray for anyone... Uh, who is experiencing just pain on this, these kind of topics that I've just been talking about, I just pray that you would comfort them. And I pray that this place would be a place that feels safe. And I pray for all of us that we can all be careful in how we speak to and honour one another that we would show your love to one another in a way that's just really genuine and kind. Thank you for your kindness that just shines through this text. And I just pray that, yeah, you would just show your kindness to everybody here this morning. Amen. Okay. So... I've got three points, well, three observations I want to make to help us to kind of understand this text. Um, And then I want to have a little kind of uh, side thing, which hopefully um, I know a lot of people do Bible in a year, and maybe you're starting out Bible in a year now. And most of 
if you read the Bible, beginning to end, most of it is in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament can be quite hard to read, so I want to do a little side piece on how do we read the Old Testament and understand it. Um, and then I want to just, um, I'll try to do that quickly and then come back to my main point uh, and which we can respond to. Uh, so my three observations um, that I want to make about this text uh, are on the screen, hopefully. Now, here we go. Um, so um, we've got order and chaos, wisdom and foolishness, and shouting and whispering. I think there's a lot of opposites that are going on uh, in this that, just as I was prepping it, came to my attention. So, uh, this afternoon, uh, we have... Uh, Edith is five. Uh, well, she was five before Christmas, but we're doing her party this afternoon. We're going to uh, Jim McDonald Centre in South Hatfield. There's going to be a bouncy castle. It's going to be great fun, but there's going to be quite a lot of chaos. <laughs> but it's a very happy chaos. It's a very fun chaos, and it's a chaos that I'm really looking forward to. Um, has anyone read... This might, this might be all the folks that are doing Bible in the Year. Has anyone read Judges? <laughs> no hands up at all. <laughs> Judges is... Unless you're doing something like Bible in a Year that makes you read it, it's not, a, not an easy book to read. It's really... Um, I mean, it can be quite fun, if that's your thing. Um, <laughs> but it's, there's, there's some chaos going on. It's pretty brutal. Um, it is a moral chaos that can, in places, be actually quite upsetting. And that's, if you are chronologically going through what's going on here, that's what's immediately come before this. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, everyone's fighting each other, pretty much. Really horrible stuff is going on, and you just want someone to say, Enough. Stop and bring some kind of order out of this uh, chaos that's going on all around. And what we've just read is God's beginning to speak his enough over all of this. But what he needs is somebody who's really, really going to listen. And that's Samuel. His name means God hears. It's not just Samuel, Samuel's mum. Hannah is so desperate that she's blanked out everything apart from one voice that she desperately wants to hear, and that's God's voice. And that's what we read about uh, in what we've, uh, we've just um, had up on the screen that I've just read out. So that's order and chaos. Second observation, wisdom and foolishness. When I prep for um, sharing, uh, preaching, for sharing like I am right now with all of you guys, I like to look for good things that are going on. That I can, you know, the, the optimism uh, that you can bring, or you want to bring a sense of dynamism to, you know, what's, what's happening and what's God doing here. And... Looking through for positives, I was like, well, Elkanah, he's a good guy. He's really nice. And then I prepped a bit more and I was like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> he's really not. It says that he loved her and he gave her a double portion. But actually, I think in this story, he's set up 
as a picture of the kind of foolishness that's got Israel and all of the people that are there at that time into the kind of chaotic mess that they're in. Um, and the reason I think this uh, is um, if you look at the, what's going on with the double portion, um, this is going to Hannah because he loves her. In Deuteronomy uh, 21.16, it specifically says, it pretty much like verse by verse goes through, don't do this. Like it's, it's there in black and white in the law. Don't do this. The, the double portion goes to the firstborn son. And the reason, there's a reason for that law, and that's to prevent what's going on here. So, obviously, this really annoys Penina. And the words that we... Uh, I, I was looking up about the, this... Kind of, why does it talk about provoking? And where else does the Bible talk about provoking? And all the other places that I found... Um, are basically about God's reaction to people who are not listening to him. So Peninnah's reaction is reasonable. Her husband is not listening to God. He's not listening to the law. But as far as we know from what we've read here, all of this um, upset and this anger uh, that's quite right is misdirected at Hannah and not at Elkanah. Um, and Elkanah um, seems to not really do anything about this. He just kind of passively sits back and they keep going to the temple year after year after year. He keeps doing the same thing again and again. And he just lets it happen and he doesn't get involved. He doesn't address the issue. And when he, when he does bring it up with Hannah, he um, makes this rather strange statement, I think. Um, he says, am I not worth more to you than ten sons? And that kind of sounds okay on the surface of it, but actually I think what's going on here is he's, he's offering fake wisdom because he's setting up a false choice for Hannah. Hannah is clearly never going to have ten sons, that's just not going to happen. And he's offering himself as the better option to this thing that's never going to happen. So I would say, at best, this is emotionally manipulative. He's trying to get Hannah to respond to him in the way that he would like. But actually, at worst, it's blasphemous because he's saying, I want you to find your satisfaction in me instead of God. So, oh dear. Um, <laughs> so then we have uh, whispering and shouting. All of this foolishness that's going on that we've just discussed um, generates a lot of conflict. It gets, generates a lot of infighting and distress. And it's all the more, more of the same stuff that we've just come out of as we've gone through Judges. And like I said earlier, you just want somebody to say enough and stop it all. But what we get instead is Hannah in the temple in so much distress that she can't even speak out loud. Um, and then she's approached in this public place by the priest, Eli, and it gets worse. She gets shamed publicly for being drunk. 
And this is so far beyond reasonable that it's meant to outrage us. It adds an insult from a man who's working in God's house on top of all of the existing strife that she's experiencing. And I think two very understandable reactions to this from Hannah could have been to run away from that and just to be like, I'm done with this. Or to respond kind of in kind. But she doesn't answer him back. And she says, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard me as a worthless woman. All along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli says, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you've made to him. She obviously then goes on to receive uh, this blessing from God. And in the following weeks, uh, we'll explore more of what that looks like and how that blessing develops. I want to kind of take a side point just for a, a minute now, just to talk about how do we understand the Old Testament? How did I kind of go through this and kind of arrive at these three points to share with you today. Um, the Bible, if you, I don't know if you, any, anyone ever read Aesop's Fables, um, you get uh, the story and you get a punchline at the bottom and it tells you what to think about the story. But the Bible isn't like that and you don't necessarily... What, what is the point that the person writing is trying to get across to you? And... I think that um, the people who are writing the Old Testament um, are expecting people reading it or hearing it not to be, not to be able to read. They, they kind of, most of them couldn't in that day. And they, so they would memorise all of this stuff and they'd be able to, it's, a lot of it's written in a way that makes it more memorisable. Um, and then if you've memorised everything, then you're going to start to make links across to lots of other stories. And uh, as you read something like this, you'll be thinking, oh, that reminds me of this and that reminds me of that. And we don't kind of do that in the same way now, but we do helpfully have Bibles that can help us with that. Um, and a couple of years ago, I asked God, please, can you help me to understand? Uh, I don't understand Genesis very well. Please, can you help me to understand this better? Um, and Hannah's laughing because she thinks that in every preach that I preach, I try to get it back to Genesis at some point, and bingo, she's just got her card full. Um, so, but anyway, I just want to share with you um, these four steps uh, that uh, I found helpful uh, to understand what's going on here. So, and this is about um, choices. Does someone in this passage have to make a choice? If they do, how does this mirror Adam and Eve's choice in Genesis 3? Three, how does this point us to Jesus making a better choice? And four, is there a choice I need to make to respond to this? And if you're reading the Old Testament and you've got a passage where there's somebody making a choice, these four things, if you, if you want to meditate on Scripture, these can be a really helpful way. I find it helpful anyway, even if it's just me. Um, I put them up there. Um, and... It start, for me, it started to really bring things to life in this 
and start to understand what's going on. So I'm going to quickly make uh, three, uh, three points out of my observations that I made, my three observations earlier, that come out of uh, what's going on in Genesis. Um, just to quickly mention, uh, it was amazing, Amy, what you brought this morning about the garden and um, that uh, blossoming that comes out of dryness uh, that we, we heard about in, um, from Isaiah. I mean, it's just an Eden picture, isn't it? That's what happens at the beginning of Genesis 2. You've got this um, land that is kind of wild and God says, I'm going to plant a garden in there. I'm, I'm going to make man, I'm going to make Adam and Eve to live in that beautiful place. And then, also, as we know, it didn't all go swimmingly in that garden, um, but we still have that sense of longing for that closeness with God and actually his longing for that closeness with us as well. So, uh, order and chaos. Um, here's the, the wasteland. Uh, we know that creation happened because God spoke. Here we have the disorder and chaos of judges crying out for that same voice that brings things into be the shape that they should be. And for Hannah, she has this barrenness. She desperately wants God to change. Secondly, wisdom and foolishness. I was really... I felt like God really drew my attention to the food that's going on here um, as I was prepping this. And Hannah's refusing to eat the food that comes from, um, uh, from Elkanah. And um, she's, she doesn't want to be... She's been given this double portion, but she doesn't want to eat it. Um, obviously, Hannah's very stressed, and there is a... It's a human thing that's going on here, uh, but she's also refusing this inappropriate gift. Um, and there's a, a parallel about wisdom, and where does your wisdom come from? And I've got this stained glass window here. This is uh, a window in France illustrating Genesis 3, um, and um, there's, they're taking uh, the fruit from the tree, um, and there's the snake saying, you know, it's all fine, and God said don't take the fruit from that tree, and it's basically, it's about uh, wisdom, and there's, they're making a foolish choice there. And um, there's a parallel here, so Eve was um, spoken to by the snake, and is giving the fruit to Adam, and here we have a man who's trying to give foolishly food to his wife. So it's kind of interesting sometimes, the Bible plays with these things and switches them round and shows us things about the original thing that we might not even originally have seen. And then whispering and shouting. So all of this foolishness and this fake wisdom um, it generates a lot of conflict, um, just like uh, what happened immediately after the scene in this window. Um, and Hannah has the grace to speak calmly and to ask God for what she wants, even though the man in front of her, Eli, is very far from a good reflection of how God sees her and how God would speak to her. And I think she's able to do this because God's spoken to her in her distress and he's shown her his faithfulness. And then she responds to God in faith. 
And this is faith that goes beyond all of the fears and the doubts that she must have had. So, you know, I'm sure she was probably thinking, my family's pretty dysfunctional. Is this going to be a good place for my son? But um, that's playing into, actually, I'm going to give him to God. But then, oh my goodness, the temple's also really dysfunctional. Like, do I really want him there? Do I want to trust this man that's shamed me in public, said that I was drunk? And then, of course, the history of judges shows that there's an awful lot of violence and instability and corruption and the government is not in a good place. Um, What's going to happen next? She doesn't know. But actually, God does. This series is about following God through challenging times. And there's a remarkable inner strength that Hannah has. That she goes through all of these things and actually the only thing that's good in all of this is God. And that just struck me as, you know, as I was prepping all of this and I was thinking about coming to speak to you today and I was thinking oh gosh this is you know this is a discipline isn't it where you you say right we're going to just speak this uh, preach the bible and then the bible says this and you're like oh is this right for the new year and then Matthew came and prayed with me and just said you know he just spoke reassurance over me and actually God I think wants to speak that same reassurance over all of you. That he, it doesn't matter if it feels to you right now that the only thing that's good is God, and maybe you're not even sure if about that. He wants to give you a revelation of his faithfulness. And this was like a seed. So if we go to the next slide. This is just like a seed of faith. <coughs> For Hannah, it was a seed that she chose to nurture. She didn't choose to dwell on the stuff in the natural, although that was very, very painful for her. She chose to set her mind to ask God for what she needed. And I want to ask you now, at the start of this new year, what is it do you, what do you need? What do you need from God? What's the thing that he's put on your heart to say, really, really want this thing? And it can be hard to get clarity on that. A couple of years ago, um, I wasn't in a particularly great place with my mental health. And... These kind of things can really steal um, your joy when you can't get your own thoughts straight. I've got this idea that I must hold on to Jesus, but it's hard. And I was very fortunate in, I, you know, I went and I got help and nobody judged me. Nobody misunderstood me. But the reality was that it was a bit messy up here and I needed to do something about that. 
how, how is all of this about Jesus? We've just had Christmas, and it's a time where we remember how God was born as a baby. And this baby, uh, this Messiah, was God's answer to generations after generations of people praying just like Hannah did. And saying, God, God, will you help? Can you see what's in front of me? Will you break into this situation? Will you do something about what I'm facing? Many of them were praying with a similar kind of desperation to Hannah. Jesus was the answer to all of those prayers for generations and generations. Jesus was born to a mother who was misunderstood. Of course, Mary's pregnancy before she was married to Joseph, that was assumed to be illegitimate. And she would have had many comments that probably mirrored Hannah's interaction with Eli, where she had to just bite her tongue while other people were just telling her what they thought. And then Jesus was born into a dirty stable. He was the king of the universe. And he was humble enough to bring joy and peace to that place. We remember that at Christmas. But he grew up and he carried on bringing joy and peace to every single place that he went. And he immersed himself in our messed up world. I mentioned previously about a few years back my mental health not being in a very good place. Mental health and stuff that's going on in your circumstances, you can never, never separate. You can't just say, oh, this is just that and that's just that. It's all tied in together. And the person, I got some counselling and I did some CBT and when I got the counselling, the uh, person I was doing it with said to me, just reminded me about Jesus sitting in a mess. And our, the things that were messy in my life at the time that I really wanted to change and could, actually couldn't do anything about, Jesus came and did exactly that. He was in a straw of a, of a manger in a stable get much more messy than that. And it carried on being messy for him. But he carried on making the right choice. He was misunderstood. His motivations were questioned, questioned and his character was judged. And he took the weight of all of that onto himself. He answered everybody out of love. And his faithfulness to the love of God took him to the cross where he died. This was this moment where the wisdom of God was killed by people who were just foolish. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus tells us more about the faithfulness and love of God than I can ever express in a few words on a Sunday morning. And I think God revealed something of this love, this perfection and this faithfulness. Though it was thousands of years into the future for her, I think to Hannah 
she got a revelation of some of this. What about you? What do you need? God wants to reveal himself to you today. Maybe you've got something in your life where it just keeps coming round year after year. And you're like, oh, it's actually really painful. Do I have to do this again, God? Maybe you feel like your situation is just so messy. How could God be interested or want to do something about that? And maybe there's just something that you've been asking God for for ages and it just hasn't worked out, hasn't happened. If any of those things are you, I just want to pray for you this morning that God can plant a seed of faith in your life. And he wants to do that, I think, by bringing a revelation of who he is. And if you choose to act on that, And God can transform your life just as he transformed Hannah's and just as Jesus transformed everyone that he met. So I'm going to ask uh, Robin uh, and Jane if you could come and uh, lead us in our last song. Um, If you've come here with somebody and um, you want to just, you feel like actually that that is me, um, it would be just brilliant if you could, before you go, if you can just say actually, uh, do you mind praying with me about this? Um, alternative you could come and find me or Emma after the service and I'd love to pray with you but if it's okay right now if we, if we could stand I'd, I'd just like to pray for everybody here um, and then we'll, uh, then we'll worship God again Jesus I just want to thank you for who you are I thank you that we can get to know you more by just being in your presence. Thank you for your church, for people around us who know and love you. And thank you for your word that speaks to us and shows us what you're like. And I pray this morning that you would um, grow all of us in our faith. God, even if we feel that what we've got is so small, it just looks like a tiny, tiny seed, and it looks so vulnerable, Lord, would you water that seed by bringing your revelation this morning of who you are, what you're like, your love, your kindness. And Lord, I thank you that there is no circumstance that we can go through where you don't see and you don't care, and you don't want to reach out to us. Well, thank you that you gave everything on the cross so that we can know you, and I just pray that we would know you more this morning. In your name, amen.